It should be obvious that we cannot solve a crisis with the same methods that got us into it in the first place. This is a last chance saloon. Because if we don't really take the decisions that are vital now, it's going to be almost impossible to catch up. We will end the moratorium on extracting our huge reserves of shale, which could get glass flowing as soon as six months. If unprecedented changes are not made and made soon, there will be irreversible damage to the planet. Zero carbon. East tall. Hello and welcome to Zero Carbon Easter Series 4 Fools Gold. I'm Ian Collins and this is the UK's number one environment-based podcast. If it's green, it's in. And we record this, Dale, on a fairly, I'd say it's a fairly mild July at the moment. But don't read too much into that because there's some pretty harrowing I, I suppose, weather-based news out there. Uh, yeah, there's been some, I want to say, shocking data, but that's all we get, really, on the climate front. But uh, shocking data from, uh, you know, from the weather experts. They say that, well, the UN, in this case, says the first week of July is the hottest ever. And summer isn't even here yet. I, I mean, there are some people saying the world is hotter than it's been in 100,000 years, something like 1.2 degrees hotter than pre-industrial levels. There's a point here. We did a debate on the radio yesterday where we had a meteorologist who knows his shit mm. and a bloke that didn't know shit. So, <laughs> and it was kind of odd because you know, I understand a journalist has got a right to, you know, that this guy was questioning the meteorologist, but he said, look, you know, we don't just cherry pick one bit here and one bit there. We look at patterns on this stuff and there are irredeemable patterns that you can't run away from. You can't pretend it's not happening because it's literally happening. And if you want a little bit of evidence of it, you know, nip down to Southern Europe at the moment and check out what's going on there. Yeah, some mad temperatures. Or look across at America. I mean, they've got a drought on one side of the country and uh, flooding on the other. You know, <laughs> it's like they've got it all in uh, in one country at the same time. Or there was another report I read today about the color of our oceans. They've changed. And this is ob observed, obviously, from I satellites. I saw this, yeah. yeah. And, and, you know, currently they don't know the cause. They're saying that different sizes of, uh, what do you call it, plankton uh, or phytoplankton reflect yeah. different light and absorb different light. But also they think there might be a plastic particle issue there as well, and they're going to do some more research. But basically, from space, we're looking greener than we are blue now. That's extraordinary. And what is fascinating and understandable, and I suppose this is you know, where there's a void and why we get a lot of skepticism, Dale, is because people don't have thorough answers from governments. And you know, lots of people scratch their head and say, so if we stop drilling for oil, are we going to put all of this into reverse? Is it really going to be that simple? Yeah, and, and people make stuff up as well. You know, you know, I've done a few interviews and, and heard people say, but, you know, we've been predicting or they've been predicting like for 150 years that the world would end in 10 years time. And I'm like, who? I don't think that's true. <laughs> you know, for example, like, uh, you know, we've known about the, the potential impact of all of these carbon emissions on the climate. Yes, for that long, people were flagging it that long ago. Yeah. But uh, this idea that we've been predicting the end of the world for 150 years is, is a made up one, like, uh, like Oliver Dowden's made up statistic. Um, has Dowden been at it? Has he? What's yeah. he been doing? So he said in Parliament today that uh, Labour's green plans would cost every family in the country £1,000 a year. And he, he cited Treasury analysis of Labour's plans, right? So it turns out Treasury are denying it completely. They haven't done it. They made no such study. So he just made it up. 
That's incredible. Treasury analysis shows. And what that's meant to do, of course, is to kind of wrong foot your opponent to go, mm. oh, God, yeah. yeah. What if they, yeah, done, yeah maybe they're right. Uh, maybe we won't question it. And then somebody asked the question and they said, uh, no, we didn't analyze it, man. <laughs> That's right. And I've been on a radio show. It might have even been yours. It was only a week or two ago, and somebody said exactly this to me, that uh, Treasury analysis says 1,000 pounds. I'm like, look, I haven't seen it, right? But I'm pretty sure it's it'll be on the wrong basis. Turns out it's not even true, which is incredible. I mean, this is the week in which the Bank of England have just said millions of people in Britain will face a mortgage rise of 6,000 pounds a year. Right. And, and the month that Liz Truss was in charge, she cost every household in the country £1,000 a year. And energy bills quadrupled to cost us all an extra £3,000 a year just last year. They're still twice as big as they should be, extra £1,000 a year. So what's Dowden even doing going into that and saying, oh, my God, it'll be so bad with labor is £1,000 a year. <laughs> it's like, wow, that's, that's a bargain. Right? It, <laughs> <laughs> and it's, it's funny, though, isn't it? Because you're right about the, they were saying this in 1902. Right. And you get, really? Were they? And then in 1922, <laughs> they predicted the next ice age. And you think, oh, that's fascinating. I better look that up. Yeah. Oh, it doesn't exist. <laughs> it doesn't you just exist. made it up. That's right. That's right. I saw some scary stats, though, at, uh, I think it was COP26 in Glasgow. I say scary. But since, since I was a boy, I'd, I'd seen this film about the next ice age, and, and it kind of informed a lot of my thinking and, and, and that kind of stuff. I found it really quite a scary idea that it could come back, and they come back every 10,000 years or something. Uh, but I saw stats at COP26 that said, we've actually stopped the next ice age. The planet has warmed so much. Uh, it showed the the uh, temperature trend and each point with where was there was an ice age and how we've changed the course of the chart. We aren't heading to ice age territory now. Wow. Because we're heating up too much. Yeah. 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 Is that a double-edged sword? I don't know what I prefer. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> it's like, mm, okay. <laughs> At least with the cold, you can put a blanket on, I suppose. You can't take your skin off, can you, if you're, no, uh, you're too no. hot? But what an um, enormous impact to have on the world. Right, that you've changed the course of it artificially. Yeah. 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 Here's a story that sounds as if it's made up, but actually isn't, and that's that batteries could be made of sugar. Yeah, I mean, I love the sound of it, actually. I mean, sugar's known for giving us energy, right, and for, like, giving us diabetes and, and rotten teeth and <laughs> all kinds of bad things. This is about uh, something called flow batteries, where you have two big chambers and liquids in them that flow from one side to the other and create electricity uh, or release it. Well, they do both, probably. And they can be used to store and, and give energy, which is a key part of the smart grid. The moment they use a lot of, like, rare earth minerals and stuff like that, and scientists in the U.S. have found a way to do this with sugar, which is a bit shocking, uh, I would say. I've had a look at the article. I can't find any really great stats in there to back up, you know, the economics, the performance, that kind of stuff. But I love the idea that flow batteries the size of a football field could be competing with the fast food industry for sugar supplies. Maybe they drive up the price of sugar, I don't know, so that we have less of it in our fast food and more of it in the grid. <laughs> That's, uh, yeah. Is that all right? That, that'll be okay in the grid, though, won't it? Yeah, it can't do any harm there, can it? No, it's better than that than sitting in your ass, which is where it shouldn't be, because that's how people die. <laughs> I don't know where I'm going with that, to be honest. Stop now. <laughs> uh, here's a question from Pete, who says, Dale, I understand you formed a new political think tank. Can you tell us more? Are there ways we can help you financially or practically keep up the good work? 
Uh, nice. Yeah, look, it's, um, it kind of is that. It's called the Green Britain Foundation. We decided to repurpose it as a bit of a think tank, although not quite as conventional as that. Uh, a few months ago, when I decided not to be uh, a politician, not to try and become a politician, uh, but to try and influence politics in a different way. We published a number of studies over the year, and we just decided to get a little bit proper about that, get a bit focused. We're, we're building a, a, a bigger plan for the studies that are needed to create a, a real proper blueprint for Green Britain, which will release just before the election uh, and we're just identifying the studies that need to be done it's the same place actually that we run our minister of eco education from and uh, we just we just got a donation the other day from from some bank uh, they haven't told us how big it is um, but it's a bank right so it should be a big one i don't really know we haven't got a funding channel so i mean i appreciate the offer but we're just not geared up for taking donations at the moment but maybe we should be uh, elon musk your friend elon musk is to launch tesla electric as a UK supplier, when I saw this headline, Dale, you were literally the first person I thought, <laughs> not least because of the fact that ecotricity is something you run, but uh, you had an interesting relationship with Elon Musk. Yeah, not a good one. It's in my book. Um, it was about the electric highway. Uh, he wanted to uh, work with us, offered to work with us just before he launched his cars over here. And uh, we signed an NDA, it's called a non-disclosure agreement. Sorry, that means non-disclosure agreement. And, and under which we gave him all kinds of data about our operation under the promise of not using it commercially against us. Uh, but actually what he did do was go behind our backs, talk to our landlords, try to get them to break contract with us using the knowledge he had. And we had to go to the high court, seek an injunction, which we got, and uh, stop him in his tracks. I mean, he's a dodgy man. I saw this week he was complaining about uh, Meta launching threads. And it was a wonderful quote. He said, competition is okay. Theft is not. And I'm like, whoa, hello, Elon. Uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> is that the same guy? interesting, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, yeah. But I mean, what in terms of his, you know, wanting to, where's he got all this electric from anyway? What the hell is he talking about? I don't know. I mean, you know, I don't know. I don't know what he's going to do. I think uh, it'll involve cars giving and taking from the grid, you know, that aspect of the smart grid, vehicle to grid, it's often known as V to G. Uh, it's a bit jargony, but uh, it, it'll be about that. Solar panels, batteries and cars taking a house on and off the grid at different times of the day, which is a really important part of how we get to 100% green electricity. So, uh, you know, I say good luck to him. He's still a dick, but good luck to him. <laughs> <laughs> but i think you know look listen you you know we we're all old enough and wise enough to know you don't judge a book by its cover as my old nan used to say and all of that stuff but when i see elon musk interviewed that is precisely what i see a dick (laughs) Uh, i don't see really I, i i don't spot you know when you look at somebody sometimes look we all dwell on the spectrum somewhere along the line i'm not making any criticism of that don't you mean this is a pejorative it's not even that. You're waiting for the inner genius because you're told there's one in there. Mm. And I, I, you know, some of the cleverest people I know are deeply troubled in lots of other ways. He just looks deeply f-ing troubled without the genius. <laughs> I think you're right. He drew the short straw. He got the looks without the, uh, you know, the upside. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Know. He's meant to enamor you to go, ah, oh, this is one of those kind of curious, slightly geeky blokes, but underneath that weird veneer somebody who knows his shit yeah. <laughs> you suddenly go oh actually i don't think he does no, he makes he makes cars and he yeah. does well so fair he's, he's a long way from being a genius there it is yeah. um if elon's lawyers are listening to this yeah. uh we love him we think he's amazing a great businessman he's done wonders for the world and for social media if they're not listening to this <laughs> he's still a dick <laughs>
There you go. Hi, I'm Mike Graham from Talk TV, and I've been asked to tell you about green issues in a new book called Manifesto. It's brilliant, apparently. Do you believe in climate change? I don't. Do you believe we all need to find a greener way of living our lives? No, I don't either. I think it's all a load of guff perpetuated by loony lefties and eco-zealots hell-bent on causing a nuisance. Do you believe we're all killing our beautiful planet? No. Neither do I, but I know a fellow who does. His name's Dale Vince. He's so convinced he's written a whole book about it called Manifesto. The Battle for Green Britain. It's part memoir, part handbook for changing the world and shaking it up, apparently. I won't be buying it, but you can if you want to waste your hard-earned cash. It's 4 99 Pretty cheap, isn't it? You must be wealthy as hell. According to this script, it's available now from fgr.co.uk forward slash shop. This from Victoria says, would you lock in a fixed tariff for your electricity right now, or do you think energy prices will continue to fall? Oh, I was going to look this up, actually, uh, just to give precise advice. Prices just came down from the 1st of July. They will next change on the 1st of October. This is under the price cap regime. And and I think we're going to see another slight fall on the 1st of October. Then uh, the, the last prediction I recall was that they may rise in the winter, but not by very much and through the winter and then maybe come down next year. But what I can say is that the changes now are quite marginal. Probably won't make a big difference if you do lock in or you don't lock in, but I do think there will be a drop in October, but that's it. That's all I got. <laughs> well, that's good, isn't it? There's good news here. <laughs> yeah. It's going down. It's worth just saying that energy prices right now are twice what they used to be, so it's roughly £2,000 a year instead of one. So we've got a long way to go to get back to where we used to be. Yeah, I think I told you this before when I first bought my first house. My direct debit was £20 for my electric and £20 for my gas. I thought you were going to tell it to me in shillings. <laughs> this, is, <laughs> and this, is in, this is in like the late 90s. This isn't like that long ago, really, relatively yeah. speaking. That's crazy. Yeah, yeah, that's a bit mad. Um, the head of COP, the words of the head of COP. Yeah. There's been a lot of fuss about this bloke just because he leads one of the biggest oil companies in the world, uh, somewhere in the Middle East, and he was made president of COP. And you can imagine what that did to uh, you know people on the climate side of life. They're like, WTF yeah. is going on here. And all kinds of arguments were made like, oh, no, but he's on the inside. He's the right man to lead it you know, and change everything. So the headline's fabulous. He says, it's inevitable that we have to give up fossil fuels, and it will happen. Read the article, and he says, but... We can't just turn off what we've got until we've built what we need. And it's going to take a long time. It's called a transition. And for a reason, he says it's going to take a long time to get to this place where we stop fossil fuels. And this is the biggest bullshit going. And this is the current argument of our government. Uh, you know, And a lot of people in, in the world of energy and climate, they've gone from a place of climate denial, actually, or dither, to a place of um, delay. They say, yes, yes, we get it, but we have to slow down the transition because, hey, we can't afford it. Well, this is what Matey from Shell said, wasn't it, the other day? Was he said it would be dangerous, in fact? He he did. And Rishi Sunak... He went further. He did. Rishi Sunak said the same thing a few weeks ago. He's saying, uh, I think he said it would take two or three decades, this transition, which is is wrong. You know, we can do it in 10 years in electricity. And the idea that... What this guy said, the head of COP, president of COP, that we can't just turn off what we've got. Nobody is saying we should turn it off. As I said on Question Time, it's about turning one thing up while turning the other thing down. That's a transition. Yeah. We're at nearly 50% on our grid now. We've been doing it for 20 years. We just got to carry it. You know, another 10 years, we get there. So it kind of infuriates me to read 
uh, certainly the disconnect between the headline and, and the article. But what this bloke is saying, he's arguing for business as usual for oil and gas companies. And I don't like that. Jim on Twitter says, will you be signing copies of Manifesto at WOMAD? Well, there's an interesting question. I hadn't thought about it. I definitely can. I think we'll we bring some along. I think we took some along last year, actually, and gave a bunch out. We'll, we'll do this we same. did. We, yeah. we, we had loads of them there. And yeah. some people were going, you know, I want to buy you, but I want to buy your book. And oh, then you went... Right. I'll just, just give them away. And she gave away like about <laughs> a thousand books, I think. Your publisher thinking, what's he doing? Don't give them away. <laughs> I remember because lots of people were coming up to me for a signature or something and saying, can I pay you? Please, can I pay you? And I was like, oh, look, just give some money to the next homeless person you see. And yeah, and they, they liked that. It was nice, right? I'm, I'm really looking forward to WOMAD, though, this year. 29th of July. It's a Saturday. I hope the weather's going to be nice. And, and do you remember last time, last year, we kind of sat there and there was already a really good crowd there yeah. from the off, which was nice. Mm. And then um, about sort of 15 minutes in, you and I are chatting around. I looked around. There were like 10 times more mm. people just suddenly kind of convened. It was a big old crowd, wasn't it? Um, this is what how Chesney Hawks feels on a daily <laughs> basis when he gigs. I don't know who that is, but I'm just going to laugh. <laughs> but look, um, come on, you remember Chesney. Remember this? I am the one and only. Do you recognize it now, Dale? Nope. No, I still don't. I think I'm Next glad. Next question comes I'm glad. from Claire. <laughs> I'm glad. That's why you never presented the old grey whistle test, isn't it? Uh huh. Is that what it is? That? I do. I do. I never watched it, but I know, I know what you're talking about. Uh, here's a headline, Dale. I don't even know what this means, um, and I don't imagine many people would. Nuclear bomb fallout site chosen to define the start of Anthropocene epoch, end of stable global environment. Now, it's a clearly a fairly esoteric headline what does it mean yes interesting we've talked about this a few times uh in this podcast for you know over the years um and geologists have been kind of uh, theorizing recently i say recently in in geological terms yes <laughs> very recently a couple of years uh, that, that we may have entered a new epoch where the impact of man on the uh, geological record could be found they labeled it the anthropocene and and i thought Due to the rise of plastic pollution, uh, maybe it should be called the Plasticine, which was just a would have been I like a, it. Yeah, nice. Um, but it turns out these guys have been busy in the background. They don't move very quickly. I think that's really quite funny for geologists. You know, they, they they've taken years and they have committees and meetings and they had candidate sites around the world and candidate things like a nuclear bomb it, plastic was also a candidate for the for, to to mark the beginning of this new epoch they haven't even agreed yet that there is a new epoch uh, got it what they've decided is there's a lake in canada that has sediment from the time of the first nuclear bomb and uh, they've decided to, to nominate that site as the beginning of the anthropocene epoch there are other people in in the world of geologists saying yes but nuclear uh, waste does decay over a number of thousands of years. And, and epochs are normally like several million years. And so this marker for the beginning of the Anthropocene will be gone uh, wow. ra rather a bit soon, right? But it could just be that human activity on Earth is creating faster epochs. Well, that's also true, isn't it? But uh, I, I find it really fascinating. We, we talk about climate crisis in terms of what, uh, you know, our kids and our grandkids, what kind of world they're going to live in. These guys are working in like millions of years. And it's a question of what, in a few million years, what people dig up and what they, what they divine, because they'll have to do that because there'll be no yeah. records. What they divine from the fossil record about how we lived, I guess, fortunately for them, they won't see the half of it. Yeah. I, it just reminded me of the Spike Milligan line that he wanted to be buried. 
inside a washing machine just to f- up people in the future when they unearth it in <laughs> thousands of years. <laughs> why, is, why is there a human in a washing machine? Yeah, that's brilliant. Do you support this? Comes from Claire. Do you support the renaming of Sea Shepherd UK to Captain Paul Watson Foundation? What's going on here? Well, there's been some kind of uh, coup, actually, in the organization that Paul founded yonks and yonks ago. Um, and uh, the board of Sea Shepherd US have basically kicked him out, taken over the organization, declared Sea Shepherd is now a scientific organization doing research, not protest. Rather left him out in the cold, but some elements of Sea Shepherd Global uh, were controlled differently and more independently, and and they've kind of uh, gathered around with Paul to create a new organization. So there's still a Sea Shepherd in the world. They're in the Faroe Islands right now, uh, trying to save dolphins. I had a chat to Paul about this, and I suggested he called himself the Real Sea Shepherd. I thought that would have been a snappier name. That's good. Uh, but you know, he's gone with he's gone with what he's gone with, and I understand why and stuff. So, a bit, but the the gist of the story is there's a kind of uh, New conservation organization born out of a takeover of uh, Sea Shepherd. There it is. Um, let's go back to the weather as well. We began talking about the uh, the, the extremities of weather. Mm. Um, and it's that figure about the, the heat wave. This comes up quite a lot. You've mm. said it almost on every episode mm. uh, for, for certainly the last few months about how many people died as a result of mm. heat in yeah. Europe alone last summer. And there's a kind of revision of that figure now. Yeah, that's right. And I've been saying it in every uh, interview as well about Just Stop Oil and all that kind of stuff, because the point that I make is that there's a greater harm in the background, the climate crisis. A little bit of disruption to your commute or to cricket or tennis really is nothing compared to the people that are dying. And one of my favorite examples was much closer to home than just the global 4 million figure, was that uh, last summer 40,000 people died in, in the heat waves across Europe. And I got that figure by collating the reports of European governments is a rough figure, uh, you know, roughly 40,000. It was slightly less. And I used it all of the time. Julia Hartley Brewer, bless her, said to me, that's just, just not true. You made it up, right? But I hadn't made it up. Now, somebody, <laughs> somebody that's, that's how they roll, right? Not me. Somebody has done a, a study uh, and it was published this week. And, and not, it's not governments of Europe this time. Some people have dived deeper into the data and they have come up with a figure of 61,000. Uh, and even then they think it might be an underestimate. But these are people that have been killed that have died that wouldn't have died without the extremely high temperatures that we had in Europe. And I think this is a really powerful statistic because this is happening now. It's taking people's lives and a little bit of traffic disruption in order to flag the in- insanity of our government in drilling for more fossil fuels in the teeth of the climate crisis and all of the science and the fact that it kills people, uh, you know, it's important. And finally, Dale, uh, I heard a rumour, something about you becoming an air hostess. Is this right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I've said it a few times. We're going to launch an airline, an electric airline. I've said it on this podcast and in a couple of interviews. And finally, check the news on Monday, people, and you will find that we've done it. The world's first electric airline. Get out of here. Serious? Yeah, I'm super excited. We're not flying yet, but we've, uh, you know, we formed the company. We're, we're getting the license to fly. We've found the planes. We've got the technology pathway to convert them to electric so it's like a it's an upcycle we're not going to build new planes we're going to convert yeah. existing ones and uh, it'll be a national carrier you know up and down the the british isles and uh, it's super exciting and just one one last thing 
What excites me the most about it, I think, is that uh, flying looks like the last frontier. It looks like the unsolvable piece of the puzzle in terms of how we get to live a green life without having to give up stuff, namely flying. And most people are put off making any changes because they think they can't make all of the changes uh, and they still want to fly. So we've, you know, we've cracked it in cars, in food, in energy. We've got all of the answers that we need. We've now got the answer in flying. It's not just a massive air balloon, is it, by the way? <laughs> not the proper planes. <laughs> just wanted to check, you know, that that's no outside toilet or anything. Good to hear. Um, Dale, we will speak in a week. Nice one. Looking forward to it. That is it for this episode. Don't forget to follow this podcast from your podcast provider so that you get each new episode automatically. Leave a review there too. And the really important bit is to follow Dale on social media, twitter.com slash dalevince, facebook.com slash dalevince, and on Insta too. Zero. Carbon. East off.